Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Real stories, real people, real hope. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my hostess in life, my beautiful wife. Her name is... Just Jen. And you're along with us as we keep the hope train and moving on down the track. Choo-choo. That was a good choo-choo. That was like a <laughs> that was like a five out of ten choo-choo. It was like just enough to be present, but not too much. Not too over the top today. That's me. That's you. Yeah. You having a good day today? I am having an awesome day today. I'm having an awesome day too today, today, today too. It didn't come out right. But I'm having an awesome day too. Well, that's a good thing. You know why? Why? Because the sunshine is out. Blue skies. Like we've been inundated for the last Five billion years in California Five with smoke. Years. Yeah. Is that when the dinosaurs We've had more smoke here? in California than the earth's been alive. Longer than that. Wow. Feels like it. Okay. <laughs> that might be a small little exaggeration. That's a but, big exaggeration. But hey, it just shows how enthusiastic I am mm-hmm. to have some clean, fresh air, right? Well, it's not really fresh. It still smells. Oh, Jennifer. Well, it does. It smells less smoky than it's it less did. smoky looking but it still smells smoky i know and we had a close fire scare i mean for we live in northern california we're at the base of the of the foothills of mm-hmm. gold country oh hope train that's the hope train you hear it it's leaving it's doing its horn thing <laughs> um and we had a fire within like two and a half miles of us yeah like a 400 acre fire Super close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did it get to 400 acres? It got to 411 acres, and I was just talking to a girlfriend a minute ago, and her boyfriend was fighting that fire. Really? Our fire? And she said the rumor is it got started by somebody cooking hot dogs under the bridge. What? Yes. I got I got the goods. And did you know they sleep outside on the ground, these firemen? And did you know that inmates are out there helping tackle these fires how do the inmates not run away well i think they have ankle bracelets on and they have to have it less than nine months left on their you know jail time to be able to fight fires this is all news to me and they can't have murdered somebody what because that was my question is like whoa how do you fight a fire and wonder if you're going to be murdered at the same time i don't like that feeling jennifer why do you go to the extremes well because they could be murderers. Jennifer. Anyways, they're usually like drug charges or something like that. So, oh, so you're you okay go. with that? Well, I mean. You're okay with They're not going to murder me. <laughs> <laughs> the, or your they kids. Can, they can do their Our own kids. thing and I'll fight the fire. Yeah. They, yeah. So from when, the first images I saw of this fire, it was right mm-hmm. underneath the bridge. So who's cooking a hot dog on a steep hill it's underneath l- the bridge? It was Labor Day weekend. Oh my gosh. Everyone's cooking hot I dogs. I know that area. Did you know that? On the side of a hill. Every time you eat a hot dog, you lose 37 minutes of your life. I don't know if I believe that. And what's going to happen to the guy that's the hot dog champion back in New Jersey or whatever? He's he should gonna not have, be living. He's going to die soon. Jennifer. Well. That's not good. How many hot dogs did he eat? Let's add it up. I don't I don't want to. I don't want to. Whoa. <laughs> Jen almost fell over in the chair she's sitting in. <laughs> That had a little bit of a sudden reaction for it's you. It's these chairs, these janky chairs we sit in. Oh, they're not janky. Come no, on now. They're weird. They have too many functions. They're called ergo human chairs. <laughs> they're kind of cool. I just like a normal chair. All right. So let's do some funny, right? Let's tell some jokes. All right. Let's make some people laugh. Okay. And I'm going to see if I'm going to win the joke off today. Okay. All right. You got a joke ready? Let's do it. All right. Here we go. All right. You go first. Okay. What day of the week 
do potatoes hate the most? What day of the week do potatoes hate the most? Thursday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday. I don't know. What day of the week? Friday. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because they're going to turn into French fries. That was the only day I didn't mull over in my head. I'm disappointed. What are your favorite French fries? What are my favorite French fries? Yeah. Okay. So like traditional French fries? Yeah, like. French fries. I don't know. French fries. Okay. So truth be told, if it's going to be the regular skinny long French fries, Mm -hmm. I like McDonald's fries. Really? Yeah. Okay. But the best fries with a potato that Mm -hmm. I've had are Chick-fil-A fries. I love the Chris Cut fries at Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah. But that said, the fries I eat the most and kind of sweet spot in my heart right now Mm -hmm. are sweet potato fries. Oh, yeah. Those are very, very good. I like those. Those are better for you, too. I'm going to say hands down in and out Really? Yes. Always and forever in and out fries are the bomb. You like the little skin on the end? I just like them. I like, I like seeing them make them, and then I get to eat them, and it's just <laughs> awesome. Jenna's such a foodie. She loves food. <laughs> you get to see them make them in the window. It's the best. You oh. know they're fresh. All right. I think I have a chance at this joke off. Okay. You ready for mine? You always have a chance. Thank you for that. <laughs> All right, here we go. Since we were on the subject of fires. Yeah. Right. Did you hear about the fire at the circus? Fires aren't funny. I know, they're not. But did you hear about the fire at the circus? No. It was intense. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's really bad. It's really bad if there's a fire in a tent in in the circus because all the animals and all the people are going to burn up. Hey. That wasn't funny. You took you it laughed. too far. You, you laughed. took it too far. You laughed more than I did on your joke, so I win. I declare myself the joke-off winner. Friday French fries are the best. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right, so I'm excited to share with you that we have an interview with uh, somebody that I think is going to be a very, very powerful guest for us. She's got a story of, um, unfortunately, domestic violence and abuse. Her name is Kayla Hodges, and uh, she has risen out of that circumstance to become the number one female sales trainer under 30 in the country, and I'm excited to have her come on the show. Like, how did she do that? How did she go from domestic violence and abuse to becoming, like, a superstar? How did she do that? We want to find out. We are going to find out. I'm going to call her. I'm going to get her on the line right now. Let's do it. All right, here we go. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome to the Hope Radio Podcast, Kayla Hodges. Hi, Kayla. How are you today? Hi, Sean. Doing amazing. How are you? Uh, doing fantastic. It's a bright, sunshiny day in California. And in case you haven't heard, California's been on fire lately. So it's nice to see the blue sky. I'm thinking that this is a good sign that we're going to have an awesome, awesome day. And it begins with an interview with you, my friend. So super excited. I'm excited too. It's funny, it's shiny bright over here in Miami as well. Um, so I'm going to just, you know, be on the other side of the United States, you know, cheering you on with us <laughs> and our brightness. I love I'm it. Sorry about the fire situation, but definitely here to have a bright, beautiful day. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll smile smile at each other from two opposite coasts. All right, so that's that's what we got going on for the vibe today. But uh, for the benefit of our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? Where do you call home? What do you do for a living? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm here in Miami, Florida. I've been here for only a year, and um, I am the number one female sales trainer under thirty. So I work different ways i work with uh, companies help train their sales teams and then i also do have my own program specifically for women 
for six months where I help them learn how to build a program and coach and be able to sell it on their own so they can make money on their own terms. So you, so you, in essence, help to coach female coaches. Is that, is that what I'm getting? Is that the vibe I have? So I'll work with a uh, company that has coaches or salespeople and I'll work with them. And then I also work with women who have a program and I help them learn how to sell. Basically, I teach women how to become closers. Oh, I love that. What a, what a crazy job. I, I'm always curious when I hear stuff like that, like how did somebody get into that? And I'm sure we'll touch on that subject uh, as we have a chat, but uh, what an awesome thing to do. You help others rise. And that to me is a very, very special position to be in and a very special avocation. I can't believe you get paid to help others rise. You know, that's awesome. Thank you, Sean. I, I appreciate that. I really feel like I, I get to be this little fire. I'm a redhead, so I feel like I'm on fire all the time, and I, and I light other people's <laughs> flame, right? When we can light someone's flame, it's so crazy what we can watch them do, and it lights me up. But at the end of the day, uh, I don't know if I, I told you my mission, but my mission is to go into third world countries, and I want to help women um, escape domestic violent relationships with their kids, and I really want to help them get the skills and be rehabilitated so that they can live a life that they really want to live. And so that's my big mission. And that's really why I do what I do. But it's exciting to light all these flames along the way. Oh, I love that. You just gave me a total visual. I think you should create an avatar for yourself, you know, fiery hair. And it's just like on flames and like you're speaking into an audience of women. I, I, I'm just seeing this this digital avatar right now that we're creating. You know, you, you just did a great job of painting a mental picture for me. I love it. Now, um, is it just yourself or do you, you I think you have a daughter, right? <laughs> yes, it was so funny. You know, I was like, how am I going to, like, we can sell dolls. I'm just kidding. Um, yes, I do have a daughter. She's amazing. Her name is Claire. She's nine. She has all these little freckles all over her face, and it's just so adorable. I just can't. And she's so funny. She's hilarious. Oh, I love that. I love that. We, Jen and I have four boys, and so we, we never got the daughter fix. I know Jen kept holding out for a daughter, but it's just not the way the cards were played for us. And so we have uh, four boys. My oldest is 25, then 23, soon to be 24, 17, and 15. So we've, we've obviously got a full house ourselves, but uh, that's awesome. A, a little mini-me for you, right? Definitely a little mini-me. I definitely understand the boys. I'm one of five kids. I'm the oldest. Well, now seven. Um, my dad now has four-year-old twins. But my brother surprised my parents because we had three girls back-to-back. And then my brother would do something crazy, like jump off the top of the suburban to do a slam dunk, you know, and, and break his arm. You know, us girls, we would never do stuff like that, you know. So I definitely understand <laughs> uh, boys doing how rile they are versus us, you know, playing makeup. Yeah, this is this is true. Jen, Jen always says, you know, I'm, all my boys, they love their mama fiercely. I mean, they really, really do. They're mama's boys. And so she's like, you never got to experience what it's like to have a daddy's girl. And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I haven't. I, I didn't get a chance to experience that. But I'm holding out some hope that, you know, these boys, they, they have big hearts. And so they're going to probably going to marry some, you know, orphaned uh, girl or something like that that doesn't have any family. And then I'll get to have a pseudo daughter for myself, right? I'll be able to have one of my daughter-in-laws that I get that fixed from so hopefully that that will be the case but we'll see we'll see what happens you never know right you have four chances right <laughs> yeah this is this is this is true 
All right, so I wanted to to jump on because I know you shared a little bit about your backstory, and um, you know I was just blown away because I know how accomplished you are, and I know how determined and disciplined you are, and I guess I was I was just shocked and surprised to hear a little bit about your backstory. So for the benefit of our Hope Radio uh, podcast audience, tell us you can begin wherever you want to begin, but I know that you have a story that includes domestic violence, and that's one of the reasons why it's such a passion project for you. In other words, to be able to go into third world countries or go into other places and help women that have been the subject of abuse. And I know you've got personal experience with that, unfortunately. So you can begin wherever you'd like to begin, but we'd love to hear a little bit about your backstory and uh, what what you've overcome. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. First of all, you know, going like straight to the source, um, there was a night where um, it was like three, four o'clock in the morning and my, my husband, which a little backstory about having a husband. I had my daughter when I was like 19 years old and um, her dad kind of exited the life for like two and a half years. When she became two, he, he disappeared for about two and a half years. And at the time I started, you know, talking and dating somebody and moved in with him. Um, also at the time, my dad had become a pastor um, after my high school years, you know, and really just started following God and started telling me that, you know, I was not being married was going to be, you know, uh, harmful for my household and that, you know, God was looking down on me and all this stuff. So anyway, so I, I married this guy out of fight and found out that he was a raging alcoholic, had no idea. Uh, I would find w- bottles of water filled with wine everywhere, went out to his car, there'd be 40, 50 bottles of wine, wine bottles of hampers, like just wine, just like everywhere. And this night, I was laying on my living room floor, and um, I was being kicked in my stomach over and over and over again. And I just remember looking up at the sky, and I was screaming to God, like, to save my life. But I was also trying to be quiet because my three-year-old daughter was asleep in the next room. And I've also uh, told this story recently, and my daughter, now being nine, uh, told me that she wasn't asleep. So I find that very interesting. Wow. But I was, uh, you know praying to God to help save me. And I finally convinced this very drunk man who was completely blocked out, you know, calling me his ex-wife's name, telling me all these horrible things. I convinced this guy that I was drunk, not him, and that he needed to call his mom to come get me because I was crazy and I needed him to have his mom come get me because he doesn't deserve to have crazy people in his life. Literally, I'm like completely sober convincing him of this, like very, very drunk guy. And he's like, yeah, you're right. You know, telling me I'm dumb, telling me all this horrible stuff. Calls his mom over to the house. Mom answers, comes over at four o'clock in the morning. He throws his mom up against the wall. He's like out of it. You know, I I found like my phone, which he had hidden. Uh, it was dead. I grabbed my phone, grabbed a charger, ran through the bathroom charge my phone as I'm calling the police he starts kicking in the door and the door Sean literally had a handle on it and the handle was being kicked in over like the door was being kicked in so the door literally went in in half it bent in half towards me um and at that point as he was kicking in the door dispatch finally came on because my phone finally charged enough to where it to turn on and me call and it was like 911 what's your emergency and then um he and his mom left that was one of so many moments, right? And those moments were really, really hard because I never thought that I would be the person that would go through that. You know, I never thought that I would be the person that would ever experience anything like this. And 
I knew that I was like at rock bottom. I couldn't, I told people that stuff was happening. No one believed me. There was a, a point where we went to a conference and he blacked out again and the hotel like ripped off my necklace and then was like choking me out like on our hotel bed. And I woke up the next morning. I have no idea like if you thought it killed me and then you stopped, like I have no idea. And I, I went through a, a year and a half of just like every single day being told that I'm worthless, that no one was ever going to love me, that I was stupid, that I was ugly, disgusting. Why are you wearing this? Um, that, you know, every single horrible bad name in the book. And I couldn't even walk past him in the hallway, you know, without being pushed or pinched or stepped on or hair pulled or laughed at. And then it became to a point where my daughter would see stuff where he would drag me across the floor by my hair and she would see it or I had her like and me like cuddling in bed and he would come in and drunk and like try to grab her or rip her out of my arms. And it, it just got really, really bad, really bad. I want to unpack some of what you said and I want to make sure that our listeners um, come up to speed on on where exactly you are right now. So in, in this in this moment, so l- let me go back to very originally. So it sounds like you got some pressure from your family originally that you weren't living life life the right way through a religious perspective. In other words, they were holding you to a standard. You're unmarried. You had a child out of wedlock. You know, you're feeling this pressure. And so I think I heard you say out of spite, you decided, you know, you were dating somebody and you're like, I'm just going to, I'm going to get married and I'm going to do this because like, I'm feeling this pressure from the outside. So did, did I understand that correct? Yeah, the pressure. And I definitely, at that point, you know, I was so young, I definitely believed him. I'm like, all right, God's cursing me. And like, obviously I need to get married. You know, um, <laughs> I look back at now and I laugh, but um, yeah, I felt the pressure. I wanted approval of my father. Um, my dad was not always there. I love my dad and I'm so proud of him. My dad's changed his whole entire life around, you know, so proud of him, love him so much, but I definitely wanted his approval so bad at that point. And, um, also, you know, wanted, you know, God like to feel like not guilty about anything. And I, and I definitely felt pressure to make things right for sure. Now in, and I imagine that you felt pressure because you're the oldest, you know, I've had a conversation with my oldest son about this. I see, I'm an only child. So the whole sibling rivalry and familial pressure because you're the oldest or, you know, you get away with stuff because you're youngest or whatever. Obviously I didn't have that type of contextual experience personally, but you know, my wife came from a big family, but my, my oldest son talks about this all the time that, you know, like for him, everything was the first. And so I think we were the newest parents. We were the youngest parents at the time. And so, you know, he remarks now that we've raised the two younger uh, brothers of his differently than we did he and his brother because they're about 16 months apart. And then there's a six and a half year age difference. So I imagine you also felt pressure being the oldest of a large family, you know, to, to set the standard or to be the example, et cetera. 100 percent and uh and being told all the time like oh you know you need to be an example for your brothers and sisters you're the key you're the person that's gonna help them you know we need to get you right with us everybody else follows you know that that sort of situation as well and I, I guess so then to expand on that you said i never imagined that i would be a person that would be in one of these types of relationships because I, I i know who you are i've i've spoken to you i know the essence you're very determined you're very passionate you're you, like i can see you're smart and so i can imagine being the oldest being part of a loving family it sounds like you know um there was some pressure both spiritually religiously let's say 
on it, but like I imagine you were the person that got, you know, decent grades. I don't I don't think you were failing out of school. So like you were always doing things the way they should be done. And so to then be in a situation where you are now with a violent, abusive person was shocking to you. Yeah, I want to kind of back up too because I'm, I had the perfect family until I was 13. So um, okay. we actually won Family of the Year in the Houston Chronicle. Um, my family, you know, very all went to church and we're all dressed the same. And my mom sang on the praise team. Um, my family was fighting behind closed doors. I had no idea that my parents had issues. I had no idea that of all the things that they went through. And they sat us down when I was 13. We're like, hey, we're going to divorce. We're like, what is going on? We had no idea. And I literally became a mom at 13 because my mom had to get a job for the first time. Uh, she was always a stay-at-home mom. And I, I helped my brothers and sisters. I get up, get ready, you know, help them breakfast, lunch, you know, help them with homework. My mom was going through a lot at the time, came home and shut herself in her room after work, you know, and I really like that really changed. I had a stepdad that came into the picture and I, um, he was physically violent with me as well, um, pushed me on the stairs. I went through that and I I left my mom's house at like 14, moved in with my dad my sophomore year through my senior year. And I really just like had to fend for myself. You know, I was doing dance. My family couldn't afford dance. I was, you know, working graveyard shifts at IHOP to pay for my dance classes. I wanted to go to college and I only wanted to dance. My family did not want me to do that. Was able to do that and I got pregnant my freshman year of college. So it was like always this like survival mode of me having to fund for myself and figure it out no matter what happens. Yeah, it's it's almost as though it's the trial by fire. You you became who you were because of what you had to experience and how quickly you had to grow up. I mean, you know, uh, I I experienced a significant familial change, much like that. My my mom was with this with a guy that I had grown up as a stepfather, and when we were ten years old, she came home, found him in bed with another woman, and. And my biological father, who I really had only met once uh, previous to this, uh, was in California, and she called him, and he came out and picked us up. So at 10 years old, I'm completely removed from two uh, step-siblings. I had a stepbrother and a stepsister up until 10. Never saw them again. Never saw my stepfather again. Came out to California with a new guy that I'd never met before in my life, who was my dad, you know, and then uh, we, we took down roots here in, in California. So I know that that can be traumatic. Um, I know it can be a lot. I mean, you're, you're already an adolescent. You know, you're dealing with all of the, of the changes that, that happen when you're an adolescent. Now you're, you're becoming an adult and then throw in a mix, you know, a divorce and then a stepfather that's abusive. And it must have been really, really challenging for you to, to rise through that. But do you look back on it now as as something that helped you become the determined, focused person that you are now? I mean, was it, was it, do you see any positive to what you went through in your um, formative years, your late teenage years to who you are today? 100%. I, I wouldn't really want to live it all over again. <laughs> Nobody would, um, But if yeah. I had to, I, 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 if I had to, I would, um, to be honest. But um, I, for me to be who I am today, I'm so in love with who I am today. It took me so long to love the woman I am today. 
but I would definitely not be her without every single thing that I went through. And so I'm like grateful for every single situation because I totally believe that life happens for you and not to you. And I needed to go through all that in order to be me. So 100%, like it had to be there. I wouldn't change it. I I think, you know, obviously God allows us to have personal choice, you know, in, in life. And there's a lot of life that we wouldn't choose. There's a lot of bad that we wouldn't choose to have happen to us. But like, I'm a very spiritual person. I wouldn't say I'm a very religious person. I'd say I've, I'm a very spiritual person. I, I, I love cultivating a one-on-one connection with with God and, and Jesus. And through that, I feel like he turns everything that is horrendous. If you give him the chance, if you give him the opportunity, he'll turn it and he'll, he'll extract the maximum possible good from it. That's been my experience. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying as well, that, that going through that, nobody would ever want to go through it again. But for you, he's turned that experience into fuel. He's turned that 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 abuse into fuel for you to change your life and to rise higher. And now you're impacting others through that mission. Yes, 100 percent. And in regards to spirituality, I, I feel more connected to God than I've ever felt in my whole entire life. Um well, except for when I was like really young, like I was super connected to God when I was like eight years old. I think that that was like the most, I guess, if I was put in perspective. But now, but yes, I feel like every single thing that I've been through, like God's given me a perspective and a healing and wisdom. And I know through those things, I've been able to equip other people. Um, and so because because of that and because we've seen other people like reaching out to me um, that have gone through the same kind of thing. Um, yeah. God has definitely used that story to help me understand and help me heal and help use it as a positive force. Oh, I love that. I love that. So let's go, let's go back to the story. So, so you end up getting married and you know, what's the first sign that you can recall that you're like, uh Oh, you know, what, what's going on? Was it the drinking or did the drinking then produce the violence? And then when, when did the violence show up? Like when, when did you know that you were in a troubling situation? So I, I was actually right before I got married, like literally right before. And then the hotel situation happened almost a year later because it was at the same conference. So I used to be a, a wine sommelier, a wine director, and uh, he was a sommelier too. So we had a lot of wine issues, right? I actually hated one for a while. Now I like it again because it reminds me of that stuff. At this wine conference, right before we got married, he got super blacked out drunk and was like acting crazy. And I was with a... Uh, like a group of our friends. And so he was like, like banging on the Jeep that we were driving and was like trying to run and jump into the car and like just being insane. And I had really never seen anything like that. But I also, I have a really big heart. When I choose to like love somebody, like I really do. Sometimes it's even crossing my own boundaries. I've noticed that um, throughout different relationships, they were all across my own boundaries in order to just hold that space and honor that person and show like, cause I believe unconditional love doesn't judge like love doesn't brag it doesn't boast like and worry for me like oh i'm gonna love somebody like i'm like choosing to love regardless so like i saw that violence in him that day but it was like my daughter's father had left you know and he was there my daughter was like calling him dad you know because she didn't know better and i was almost like being i was almost scared and it felt like like she needed it and she needed a father figure and I had never seen anything like that. And so I kind of brushed it aside and didn't really tell anybody about it. And I was like, I'm just not going to talk about it. Like, it was just a one-time thing. And uh, so dumb. When when we see red flags, we need to pay attention, for sure. 
Yeah, I could I could see how it would be a lot for you at the time. Not not only you're feeling pressure, you know, obviously you're feeling pressure as a parent, you know, like I, I hear in your words as you describe that, like you were feeling, okay, I want to provide a good home for my daughter. She's already calling him dad. You know, this is an isolated event. You know, I haven't seen this before. You know, this must be a one-off type scenario and you'll minimize it, minimize it, minimize it, justify it, and then kind of move on. And it sounds like, um, you know, because I've had this conversation with others that have gone through uh, similar experiences, and I, and I think that that's where it begins. And in other words, you know, us giving somebody, us giving extremely poor behavior a pass um, allows for that type of behavior to continue. So w- when was the next time after that that he got that way? Or did, because it sounds like he was banging on the Jeep. He, he wasn't physical with you. When did he become physical with you? How long after you were married? Yeah. Um, another thing that's crazy too, Sean, is that him and I were going through youth pastor training together at this point. Really? So, um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's why it's even more crazy because, you know, like, he going, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to get right with God, him getting prayer for it, like at church, like me trying to honor him, you know, me trying to be like, you know, a good wife, right? Like praying to God. Like I've, I found journals, you know, of me like writing down, like, God, please let his words not affect me, help me bounce off me, like glue, like they won't affect me, they won't hurt me, and me praying for him to get healed and praying for him to get blessed, you know, like I wrote down like these journals. But to be honest, a lot of stuff, I feel like I'm like even looking back right now and I feel like almost a blank because I feel like maybe I subconsciously like blocked off a lot of stuff because it was so scary. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember like little, you know, times I remember asking for a divorce and being hit in my face. Like I remember, you know, like there's so many little itty bitty instances. I don't think I really remember the next one. I just think it'd be like we would go and he would drink and then all of a sudden, you know, he would be, you know, violent and not recall. He wouldn't remember. And then it was the apology roses. I can't tell you how many times I got him flowers. I, I hate flowers. I hated flowers for a long time. It was funny. The last guy I dated, he got me this, this beautiful rose that apparently stays alive for like three years because he knows how much I, I don't like flowers because they always die, you know? And so like, I, I really, really, I, I still have that rose. It's funny. Um, but uh, I would get these beautiful, like $200, $300 bouquets of flowers. Of, of apology flowers all the time and, and it's so and you know what's crazy sean is like this is what happens in traumatic relationships so you get into a really traumatic thing and you have your adrenaline spikes up your cortisol spikes up you know and you're feeling that feeling and then all of a sudden um you you drop down really really low and then they come to you with like oh i love you and then all of a sudden your serotonin boost it's literally like the same effects as heroin um, and so that's literally what someone's going through, right? The adrenaline rush, cortisol, and then boom, and then serotonin rises and drop, and then cortisol, and then adrenaline. Um, so that's what would be happening in the relationship. And that's why people get addicted because the good is so good and the bad is so bad, um, which I've, I learned later. Um, so I think that that's why you like you stay, and then you have hope that everything's going to be okay. And then also you're going through youth training, right, and pastor training, and you're like, okay, well, God, like I don't know why I'm here. Like I don't know why we're doing this. Why can't you just save this? But uh, definitely a lot of experiences and a lot of things that I went through and that. And uh, it was it was definitely very interesting. Was he sweet and nice when he wasn't drinking? I mean, like, did he, oh was, God, he, was so he ever sweet. violent or anything when he was not drinking? So that's literally the reason why we got divorced. Because it got so bad to where I literally had to take him to the hospital to detox because he was drinking so bad. 
and he would be drinking like at work starting in the morning drinking like I had no idea how bad it was and so I finally took him to the hospital and he started going to AA and we went on a family cruise like my whole family was like the first vacation we had ever went on and they invited us right so we went on this cruise the so full four days we were all together on this cruise and we weren't drinking the whole time I was with him the whole entire time for four days and he was still pinching me pushing me doing all this stuff in front of my daughter in front of my family being all nice and then he didn't like something I'm doing like physically hurt me and I knew then that's when I knew that I couldn't be with him because it wasn't the alcohol it really was him and when I came back home I made a decision was like he's gonna be gone and I called my dad and I told my dad what I was doing and I remember setting him down that night my my husband was like hey like in the morning like my dad's coming like you were leaving um, like, you know, say, you know, one last night, you know, you can like, you know, just want to know what's happening, you know? And so that night he was like crying, you know, and, and being upset and like, you know, wanting to cuddle me. And um, in the morning he wakes up and I remember this just like evil look on his face and he was looking at me and he was like, yeah, you couldn't do it. Could you? It's already daytime. Your dad's on here. You can't, you can't effing do it, you know, and telling me about how he's going to stay and how I'm always like that. And I remember my dad showing up. I've only seen my dad yell maybe two or three times my whole entire life, but that was definitely one of the moments where my dad came and literally rescued me. My dad, my dad, like, and I still, it's like one of the, it brings tears to my eyes because my dad, he was gone for so long and um, he literally came and um, saved me. Like he saved my life that day. It's a good, good day. Oh my gosh. That's, that's just so powerful. It's, it's, it, it's reminiscent to me of, um, you know, Christ saving us all, you know, rescuing us all for, for eternity. It's, it's, it's like your heavenly father won't do, I mean, he'll do anything to, to come to where you are. And here's your father, your biological earthly father going, listen, I will be there. And he shows up and he handles the situation, grabs his daughter and, um, and protects you and, and get you out of that situation. So that, that, that was the end when your dad came to get you. And then like you, you began the process of, of, uh, divorce. Yeah, so my dad came, and we he actually made the him leave. So he made him leave, and I remember they both yelling back and forth, and my dad, he was scary. Like, I've never seen my dad scare. My dad never yelled. Um, and like, he left, and I never saw him again or spoke to him again from that from that day. I went and did divorce, like, and I filed. He never showed up, and I took care of it. I don't really know what happened. I think that he went to Vegas with some older ladies, what I've heard. I never saw him again or heard from him again after that day. And I've heard from every single one of my exes and every single person I've ever talked to except for him. Never. And it almost scares me too, because like, I also want to be in a person that like, I had to do a lot of forgiveness work on this and, you know, ask God to even like help me be able to be at a point where I can forgive him and like, you know, give it to God, you know, and I've done a lot of deep trauma work on this too. A lot of, a lot of work. There's still a lot to go. You're like an onion. There's so many layers. It's not even funny. And then you get mad because something still comes up. That's like five years old. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm almost like a little fearful. Like if I was ever to see him, you know, cause I, I really truly hope that God like helps fix him. I don't have any ill will, you know, saying that it sounds almost weird coming out of my mouth. But if I never went through that situation, I would never be me. And I love me. So it's, it's very interesting. Definitely changed my stuff about how I would allow people to my life. Definitely. If I saw any red flag after that, I would never, ever touch it or mirror it. it. Took me a really long time to be normal. If somebody bumped into me at the grocery store, I would literally have a panic attack and I would have to leave and breathe deeply in a, like a bag in my car for like 20 minutes. Like it was crazy for a while. 
if anyone bumped into me accidentally, like I would freak out. Finally got normal, probably a year and a half, like two years after that. And I think it's because I went into a bodybuilding competition. So and the way that I got out of that is I fell in love with myself by doing a bodybuilding competition. Um, oh, man. Wanted to do it. That yeah, was so great. So great. The guy, I, I said I wanted to do it. And the guy looked at me up and down. He was like, it's going to take you over a year to even get close to looking like that. And I was pointing at some girl, NPC bikini. I was like, I want to be her. He's like, it's going to take you over a year. And then nine months, I won my first competition. <laughs> so that was kind of like the... Yeah, that was the thing that like pushed me forward. <laughs> for I sure. I love that you you and Jen are uh, kindred spirits because she she did a figure competition uh, once she she hasn't done it since then but she is a, an extremely determined you know she loves lifting she loves weight training and um, yeah so I, I know how much effort and discipline the the food the eating the discipline and the eating oh my gosh that that's the hardest part of all of that but. You know, I, I want to go back to, um, you, you know, because when, when you talk now, Kayla, I, I'll, I'll just be candid. Like, you, you just sound like everything about your life is going well. And and I know that's not always the case. I mean, I know that there's a lot of people that, that feel that. But relative to where you've been, I really feel like you have far and away exceeded the disadvantaged situation that you were in and now are thriving and now you're trying to help others thrive. So walk us through, you know, for, cause there's somebody that's listening right now that does not probably believe they're in a similar situation. Maybe they're being abused by somebody. Maybe they're being, maybe there's violence, etc. And I can imagine them sitting there thinking that there's, there's no way that life could be as sweet as what I think it is for you now relative to what you went through. So like, how did you get here? How did you get to this spot? Was it a lot of counseling? Was it determination? Was it, it sounds like you started with a figure competition, but just walk us through maybe three or four different things that led you to kind of rebuilding your life again. I swear, sometimes I wish like a, like a camera crew could follow me around because some of the stuff that I've like been through, like I just like, it just cracks me up and it's just insane. But I think from that point, did the bodybuilding competition, started doing personal training, and then I was working as a waitress at night, and I was also going back to school full-time. I had a 4.0 in biology, and I was raising my daughter by myself. Um, and so the personal training, I wrote a blog called Embracing Your Inner Badass, and I basically brought all my skeletons out of the closet, including all the stuff that happened with my family. They weren't really happy about it at the time. It was very healing for me. It hurt them. I'm still sorry, but I needed to do that. Um, and one of my clients found my blog, gave it to her friend. Her friend was on the committee for the Lamborghini Festival in Houston. They call me, talk to me for like an hour and a half, asked me to be the spokesmodel, official spokesmodel for Lamborghini Houston. Super excited. Um, at that point, I had, uh, you know, started dating somebody else, was like, felt like super close, was like, man, I'm going to marry this guy. I feel like he didn't know what he wanted to do with me. He wasn't sure. You know, asked him what he wanted. He said, I don't know. He said, I can't be with somebody who doesn't know what they want. End of that. Went to do this festival. And at this festival, um, I was in a private airplane hangar for the private clients the day before. Um, something happened where this lady that I had rode with, her car keys got taken by one of the fashion models there. And I had to get back home to my daughter. So somebody offered to take me in a car ride. And there was like a chain of events that had happened. A bunch of glasses spilled all the ground. The model accidentally stole her keys. Um, somebody else offered to give like a ride in the Lamborghini. Like four or five events had happened to where like I was supposed to get in this guy's car. So I get in this guy's McLaren 
and I've never been in a sports car in my life. Couldn't barely get in or out of this car. Very embarrassing. Um, and <laughs> yeah, this guy's driving on the street and, he, and I'm like, well, you know, what do you do for fun? And at this time I was obsessed with Tony Robbins because I'd listened to all the motivational stuff by being on the Stairmaster for um, these competitions. Stairmaster 45 minutes. What way you to do it, listen to some motivational stuff. And I'm asking this guy, you know, what do you do for fun? And like talking and we start having really intense conversation. And this guy's going super fast on the highway. I'm screaming, I'm laughing. I'm like having the best time ever. And we end up stopping at um, the place to get my car. And he talks to me for a really long time. And, uh, you know, at that point that night, you know, I'd get out and like telling my babysitter, who's my friend, I was like, oh my God, this McLaren guy, you know, totally was like all excited. Like, cause I thought it was like, you know, something for me to have, you know, like just a really like, amazing guy right i thought of it more of like a, a sexual thing versus like anything else like i was just like oh he's cute oh my god mclaren guy um but the next day at the festival i find out that this guy first of all had a girlfriend and then secondly i found out that he knew tony robbins personally i was like what like i'm freaking out right so i wait till the very end of this of this whole festival walk up to him and like how do you know tony robbins he's like who told you this i tell him who told me and found out that he knew Tony Robbins because Jim Rohn was his personal mentor. Oh, my gosh. And Jim, now you're throwing yeah, around some big names. Yeah. So Jim Rohn had mentored him. Jim Rohn has also mentored Tony Robbins, right? Tony Robbins worked for Jim Rohn. And so I looked at him. I said, how do you get a mentor like that? And he asked me if I was serious. And I said, yes. He goes, I'll tell you what. Go home and download The Challenge to Succeed by Jim Rohn and listen to it 10 times and I'll have a conversation with you. I went home that night. It was like $40. Um, I really didn't have $40 to spend at the time. I think I put it on a credit card and um, downloaded this seminar called The Challenge to Succeed. The Challenge to Succeed. Okay. And apparently he's told this to like over 100 people, okay, at this point. And only one person had done it. And I've also personally told over 100 people to do this. And I don't know one person that's done it. I know one person that listened to it seven times, but they never got to 10. Just so you know, like reference. So I listened to, the, I was desperate. I listened to the whole entire thing within two days told him one down nine to go. And he said, are you serious? I said, yeah. He's like, come meet me at this coffee shop. At the time I was like, I know you have a girlfriend. Business that he's like, <laughs> trying to make sure that uh, I knew that it was only business. I'm like, I just want to make sure, you know, I was trying to make uh, sure I was honoring everybody in that moment. And I sat at this coffee shop with this guy. By the way, I listened to the challenge to succeed probably more times than I could possibly count. Just so you know. <laughs> more than 10. Um, more than 10, definitely. Probably over 50. Um, and I still go back and listen to it sometimes. And it changes every time I listen to it. Um, but I sat at the coffee shop and I, I cried my eyes out telling this guy my story of my life and why I couldn't be successful. You know, I've dropped out of school several times, um, was back in school finally with a 4.0. And um, I, you know, my dad had left and this, having my stepdad and all this, just like all this stuff. And I was baby and then physically abused and just like this dramatic story, you know, I was crying. And uh, he's like, you're on a hamster wheel and you're not going anywhere. And I was like, yeah. I know. And I was working in fine dining, making a lot of money in fine dining. And he was like, I want you to come work for me. I'm like, I can't afford to do that. Um, he offered me a really great salary plus um, commission to come work a sales job um, in smart home automation. And um, I looked at him and I was like, I, I, I was so scared. And I literally dropped out of school. I quit my job. It was a Friday and I started Monday. One of the oh, craziest things I've ever done in my, my life. My gosh, talk about going for a flyer. Talk about taking a leap. You know, I love that. I love that that spirit though, because like I, I'm a kindred spirit that that way myself. It's like I don't get fearful or afraid of making big moves. 
And uh, sounds like that's what you did. All of a sudden, I'm just going to clean. I'm just going to clean slate here. I, I feel right in my spirit about this. I'm going to move forward with this opportunity. Yeah, it was crazy. My whole family thought it was insane, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it for sure. And um, it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever done. I was there for two and a half years, went there from knowing nothing at the bottom. When I left, I was running the sales team meetings, um, which was really cool. They were part of... Um, smart home automation. So I got introduced to a whole new world. There was a lot of exotic car shows. They were part of um, Scuderia, which was a, um, like a coffee and cars meetup. So we did like help make wish foundation and um, we're in a lot of different car shows. There was a lot of different um, like galas and black tie events and all this like wine events and stuff that like I was not used to um, that I got introduced to. So I would like go to these places. It was so uncomfortable. You know, everyone's wearing, you know, designer brands and everyone's like talking very different and acting very different. And instead of wearing like club dresses, I would start wearing, you know, uh, work dresses and started just behaving differently and learning differently. And I, I met him. He, he agreed to mentor me every single day and I, or like every, once a week. The, the same the, gentleman that you originally know? met? Is that who was mentoring you? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so he made me read all these books. And in exchange, I was actually helping him with his like personal training because he wanted to get, you know, help uh, more healthy. So I was a personal trainer before. So it was kind of like the exchange of energy. So yeah, he started making me read all of the books. Uh, my first book was um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I cried through the whole book because I realized I didn't know how to talk to people. Um, and then uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cash Flow Quadrant. Uh, money by Tony Robbins and once a week we just met and um, he really guided me like I would say stuff and help help me rechange my limiting beliefs and change a lot of stuff and then restructure then I went to a Tony Robbins conference um, as a participant that completely changed my life I ended up crewing on his team for two or three years after that and finally made a leap which was was crazy it was like a year this was like a year and a half ago um, so I, I get let go from the job. Something happened um, in terms of like money. They couldn't afford me anymore. He was like, you're an entrepreneur. Go fly. Try to do your thing. I started NLP coaching, um, behavioral psychology, strategic intervention. I started working with like CEOs, learning how to communicate with their employees. But right before that, I didn't know how to coach. And so I remember I was bartending on the weekends. I had lost my job. I was in a one-bedroom apartment in Houston. My daughter was sleeping in the living room. I was sleeping in my bedroom. And I was behind my rent by $753. And I didn't have it. And it was like Friday. It was due like on Monday. And I get a phone call to learn how to coach, right? It was like a $12,000 program. And it was $9,000 so if I made the decision. And I had to come up with three grants. And at that point, it was like right after uh, like a Tony Robbins like virtual conference. And I was like, screw it. Like I'm doing this. And I literally sold my furniture. I sold my daughter's furniture. I slept <laughs> on the floor in a mattress that night. Yeah. I sold shoes. I sold, I sold perfume. I sold um, a designer bag that some guy gave me. I like sold everything. And I, I slept on a mattress on my floor that night. I raised $4,100 in like 36 hours, paid for my rent, paid um, for this course sold the rest of my stuff, packed up my car and drove to Florida, Miami. Oh my gosh. Talk about a leap of faith. Another leap of faith. I, I, I went here for a, a conference for, for again, for Tony Robbins, went to the water cause I missed my plane and sat there and I felt like I was leaving my home and kept coming back to Houston saying, I'm going to move to Miami one day. And you know, at that moment I was like, screw it. Like if I'm going to mess up, I'm going to do it hard. 
uh, COVID was happening. So, you know, my daughter wasn't in school. She could do it virtually. I'm like, screw it. And uh, I left. And I, I, I had no idea where I was going to go. I didn't have an apartment. I didn't have an Airbnb set up. I didn't have anything new. No one. I slept in an Airbnb room that I shared with my daughter for three months. One was crawling in tiny cockroaches. So gross. Um, that but, doesn't sound like know, an Airbnb I'd want to stay in. That's that's for sure. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> but it was cheap. It was cheap. And uh, started making connections. And um, now I'm here. I'm literally right now above Komodo in Brickell, one of the nicest um, areas in Miami at my office. I'm looking out at the at the water right now. And I just like, I can't believe it, but I can believe it. And I'm just like, holy crap. Like I'm sitting right here from there. I, I went to go build a personal development company. The guy wasn't interested in really building it. He wanted to go on the boat all day long. I couldn't do that. So my daughter was failing school at the time. So uh, she went back to Texas to live with my sister for five, six months. And that moment, that was like January. I went crazy. I, I went a little crazy. I was partying like every weekend. I'd never been an adult before in my whole life. So I just like <laughs> took advantage of it. Um, you know, I never partied like that or, or done, um, that amount of drugs before in my life. I'm going to be completely honest. And, um, I went insane, you know, I didn't care about anything. I was just going, going, going and, um, was looking into doing capital raising for a while. Uh, the company that I got associated with, um, seemed to be really shady. So I was like, you know what? I just need a job. And I, I started working for a digital marketing company was the head of sales for them. Um, they were doing eight figures. You know, and so I, I really started stepping into, oh, I can, I can do this or I can make money. And then everything changed. My daughter came back. Um, my daughter came back in May. So this is from May to, what is this right now? September. So May, my, my daughter came back and I knew I needed to make a change on everything. Somebody asked me, Dave Robarts, um, he's the vice president for Elena Cardone. Um, for Grant Cardone's company, uh, he asked me if I was going to take responsibility to become the woman that I knew that I could be in order to fulfill the dreams that I wanted to have. And I hated that question so much because I didn't want to. Um, and I made a decision, quit my job, started my own company, made a decision to take responsibility for who I could be. Did a, a leadership deep trauma course where I went through and removed all the deep trauma, stopped partying, stopped touching anything that wasn't serving me, got really close to God, started being able to see people and, and realize that this is not about me. This is about helping others and affecting others. And I literally felt like God like came down and just blew his breath on my business, on my friends, on my personal life. I've never been more happier in my whole entire life. I've never loved myself so much. I've never had a closer relationship with my daughter. I'm, I'm, I'm good in health, my finances, uh, my faith, um, my my friendship. Um, I, I've never seen a better place in my whole entire life. And it was literally because I took the, the responsibility to become who I knew I could be. So I'm, I'm really just blown away by how much you were able to transform your life and where you are now relative to where you've been. So I think as we close out the show, Kayla, I, I want you to imagine that you're speaking to the former you, the former you that's still with the abusive person, the former you that did not and could not necessarily at that point see your life the way it is now. 
And I want you to, to imagine that you have an opportunity to, to say something to that person. Maybe there's somebody else out in the Hope Radio podcast universe that is living that situation like you used to live it. What would you say to your former self? What would you say to them in terms of hope that can maybe inspire them that they too can, can you know, become like you, like become a person that is renewed and new and changed and loving life and, and balanced? What would you say to that person? Wow. Um, hello, beautiful. <laughs> Inside of yourself, I know there's that beautiful little girl, the one that used to laugh the one that didn't care, the one that used to play, the one that used to have so much fun. And I know that that little girl is still inside of you. You are so worthy of all that you want. You are worthy to feel beautiful. You're worthy of success financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You're worthy of having people that love you. You're worthy of love. You don't have to do anything, try anything, become anything to be worthy and if you today you were to make a decision to be able to step into who you could be who would you want to help because if you focus on on giving and who you could help and identify with being the person that could accomplish that and ask God to show you what doors you need to be open and who you need to shut out and trust and just take a leap of faith, I promise you that he'll catch you. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Kayla, for the people that would like to maybe connect with you, what's the best way for people to reach out to you if somebody has any questions or maybe somebody wants to work with you directly? Thank you, Sean. Yes, I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram. My Instagram is Kayla Living Boldly. Please connect with me on there. Direct message me um, and say you're from Sean. You would love to connect with you and hear your story and support you any way that I can. Kayla Living Boldly. Um, I also do have a women's networking group on Clubhouse. It's called Live in Boldness. Live in Boldness is for women that want to network with other women in business. So, we all talk on there. It became a tribe. It's on Monday nights, 7.30 Eastern. Um, and it's pretty amazing what when wonderful women are on there. And then lastly, I do have an invitation-only group on uh, Facebook. It's uh, Badass Women Movement. So I'm building something really special in there. So if you want access to that, um, DM me on Instagram, Kayla Living Boldly, or you can find it again you know, on Facebook badass women movement because it's time that we all rise as women and stand for each other. I think that's really important. That's awesome. I can you know, I just love how passionate you are for helping others. And I think that that's a function of what you've lived through. And then I think that's a function of you having a clear mission your mission-minded, your purpose to be able to help others in abusive situations. I know that you're going to accomplish that. I know you're going to do incredible things. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm just very thankful to have interviewed you and it was awesome. Did you enjoy yourself? Oh my gosh, I did, Sean. <laughs> Part of it, when you go back and talk through the story, it like you get a little, Ugh. but then at the end, you know, for sure. Um, I think it's important for us to be proud of ourselves. Like whatever you went through, whatever story anyone else that's listening has gone through, be proud of how far you've come. I think that's so important and give yourself some recognition, you know, so. 
Thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate your mission and what you're doing and how you're spreading hope everywhere. It's been our pleasure, and uh, we really appreciate you being our newest hope dealer. You are a dealer of hope for others, and uh, we can't thank you enough. Thanks, Sean. So what did you think about that interview? I thought that interview was awesome. So number one, Kayla, thank you. Thank you again for your uh, story, for your vulnerability, for your truth, for sharing some hope with others. You know, I just, quite honestly, Jen, um, the way that she transformed her life and rose out of a terrible circumstance, Mm -hmm. um, that to me is a story of hope. And I'm hoping that that story resonates with others because I'm sure that, you know, for example, uh, in COVID, post-COVID right now, mm-hmm. I think we're still in COVID, but the reality of it is, is there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of unknowns. There's still a lot of uncertainty. And I think that domestic violence numbers um, have never been higher. Yeah. You know, I think that was a function of last year, quarantines, et cetera, all the uncertainty. So I think it's, it's just, I think this topic is super powerful. And I think it's a much needed discussion. And I think Kayla's story just shows when you can get out of that circumstance, when you can survive it mm-hmm. and, get, and get out of that relationship, the world just opens up. Right. It seems like there's so much more that can be accomplished then, especially if you do the work. Mm-hmm. And I know she's a big fan of, of uh, you know, therapy and counseling, et cetera. You have to do that work to overcome some of that trauma, right. post-traumatic stress, et cetera, to, to kind of deal with all of the emotions that were present in those situations, life-threatening situations. Mm-hmm. But uh, incredible. Yeah. You know, I think she's super powerful. And to be in a situation where um, she's a single mom and, and really hitting it hard, come on, trying to come alongside others right. and help them out of those situations. And then now she wants to take this cause and help people and women in third world countries that are subject to abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, she's such a great role model for her daughter as well. Yes. You know, to, whole, yeah. and I think that was, that was a function of her recognizing that she did not want her daughter to come up into a situation where yeah. she felt that was normal or right. normalized or find her daughter in that type of situation. So powerful, powerful interview. And, um, man, I just, I just hope she's able to accomplish her goal, which I know she will. And that is coming alongside others and um, helping them avoid the same situation that she did. And she was an awesome hope dealer for us. So thank you, Kayla, once again. Thank you. All right, Jen. So how do people find more of our Hope Radio podcast if they're interested in listening to more episodes? We are on all the the ways you can listen to the episodes, All the platforms, right? right? Yeah. All of them. I don't think- All of them. I don't know that we're not on any of them. We're on all of them. I know. I yeah. said that wrong. It came out wrong. <laughs> but you know what I meant. Yes. The, the Hope Radio podcast. And more specifically, if somebody wanted to be an interviewed guest mm-hmm. with us, if they have a story of hope, if you're listening right now and your story is a story of hope, overcoming, perseverance, yes. thriving despite obstacles and challenges and setbacks, uh, then how would somebody connect with us? Send us a message on our Instagram or our Facebook at the Hope Radio podcast. Is it The Hope or Hope? Hope Radio Podcast. Hope Radio. Hope Radio Podcast. (laughs) We will answer your messages as soon as they come in. Yep. And maybe you Mm -hmm. will be on with us sharing your story of hope. I think that's a great idea. Well, I do know another. I do know. I have another great idea. What? Let's do it again next week. I've got an interview already scheduled. I'm excited. I, I will be here. All right. Let's go. Okay.